Amen. Children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else, take your Bibles and open with me to Romans chapter 8. Apologize for the technical difficulties going on, but obviously uh, technology is not wanting to be our friend this morning, and that is all right, so Romans chapter 8, here's what we are going to begin to do this morning through the next probably month, maybe a little bit longer. We're going to focus on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to do over the course of the next four to five weeks is we're going to focus in not just on who the Spirit is, but more focus on what the Spirit does in the life of a believer. So in other words, how does the Holy Spirit of God impact us? How does the Holy Spirit of God work in us and through us? And what is the role of the Spirit in our lives? And so we're going to begin this morning in Romans chapter 8. We're actually going to walk through Romans chapter 8 over the next couple of Sundays because in Romans 8, Paul gives us a really good glimpse of how the Spirit impacts the life of a believer. And then after we make our way through the most of Romans 8, we're then going to jump around throughout the New Testament and we're going to see the impact that the Spirit has in our lives as a believer. Now, here's what I have seen, not just in our church, but really in large, is that the Holy Spirit is the most neglected member of the Trinity. We think of him as the third person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And because of that, we tend to neglect the Spirit just a little bit. We've got a really good handle on the doctrine of God, who God is. We have a really good handle on the the doctrine of Christ, who Christ is and what he has done for us. But the Spirit sort of takes a back seat to the Father and to the Son, unfortunately. And what we're going to find is that although the Father is obviously of the utmost import, although Jesus is obviously of the utmost importance, the Holy Spirit is no less important. And I would argue that the Holy Spirit is going to have a greater impact in our day-to-day life than the Father and the Son once we are believers. It is the Holy Spirit of God that comes to live inside of us, that dwells inside of us. And so it's the Holy Spirit that really impacts our day-to-day life. And we're going to begin to see that this morning in Romans chapter 8. And so what we're going to see is life through the indwelling Spirit of God. And when I say the word indwelling, what I mean is that the Spirit literally lives inside of us. The the Holy Spirit of God, when we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, it is the Holy Spirit of God who comes and takes up residence in our life. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And because of that, we have life through the Spirit. And so in the text this morning, we're going to see three truths concerning those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. So let's read Romans chapter 8. We're going to pick up in verse 1, read through verse 11. We'll pray We'll catch up with the context so we know where we're at in the book of Romans. And then we'll make our way through the text this morning. So here we go. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. One of the most exciting verses in all the Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this text, Lord, just reading through it, it is, it is apparent that there is so much information in these 11 verses. Lord, I pray that you would give our mind clarity, that we would be able to understand the truths in this text. Lord, that we would not just understand them intellectually, but we would understand how these truths impact and apply into our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word, that you would speak to us through your spirit, and Lord, that you would be glorified in how we hear and how we respond to your word today. We love you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we pick up, we're going to see three truths concerning those indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Number one, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have been set free from sin and death. Let me say that again. Through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have been set free from sin and death. Now, the context of chapter 8 is really important in order for us to understand what Paul means when we get to chapter 8. And so, what I want you to do is just real quickly take your Bible and flip back with me to chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. We're not going to read all of it. We're certainly not going to go through all of it. But I just want to give you some highlights that you'll be able to notice even in the headings of your Bible. If you look in chapter 5, verse 12, in my Bible, the heading is death in Adam and life in Christ. And that is where Paul begins to help us understand that it was through the death of one man, the first man, Adam, it was through his disobedience to God's only command, thou shalt not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And when Adam and Eve took a bite of that fruit that they were commanded not to eat, then death was ushered in for all of mankind. And so what we find in chapter 5 is that all of mankind, this is key, has been condemned to die because of Adam's sin. Because death spread from Adam to all mankind. And it is evidence because everybody from Adam until now has all died because of sin. And so all of mankind has now been condemned to die because of Adam. But what Paul also tells us in chapter 5 is that God didn't leave it like that. 
God also sent what we think of as the second Adam. He sent Jesus Christ, who lived a righteous life, who died on a cross to pay for our sins, so that just as in one man, sin entered the world, through the one man that is Christ Jesus, life and righteousness has been offered to all mankind. Amen? And that's why we're here this morning. That's why we have life this morning is because of Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate that. And so in Paul, in chapter 6 and in chapter 7, Paul then goes on a lengthy discussion concerning the law, sin, and grace. Paul asks questions like, well, if, if grace is what takes sin away, should we just keep on sinning so that grace will abound and get bigger? And he says, certainly not. Let it not even be thought, much less said out loud. No, you don't keep on sinning. Why? Because we've overcome sin. Law has been overcome for us. We're no longer under the law. We are now under grace. And what we find in chapters 6 and 7 is that the law has been fulfilled so that we are no longer under the law as those who follow Jesus. Our sin has been taken away. We have been covered by God's grace. And now we have the ability to live righteously before the Lord. Now, when you get to the end of chapter 7, however, Paul says all of that is true. But Paul says, I find in my own body this war that seems to be raging inside of me. Now, this should be very familiar with you and me because we have the same war that's raging inside of us. Paul says, I know what is right in my mind and in my spirit, and I want to do those things that please God. Yet so often I find myself doing those things I know that are wrong. Can anybody relate to that? Amen. And Paul says, what I find is that inside of me there's this struggle. Because the Spirit of God lives inside of me. I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm still wrapped up in this sinful fleshly body that has sinful fleshly desires. And those desires oftentimes lead me away from what I know to be the truth of God's word and how God wants me to live. And so Paul says these famous words in chapter 7. Now flip with me now. Chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. Paul gives us what all of us are feeling sometimes. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have thought or prayed something very similar to this often in your life. How many times have you come before the Lord having just fallen to that same old sin yet again and thought to yourself, what is wrong with me? Why am I still doing that which I know to be wrong? Why can't I overcome it? Why am I still struggling? Why? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will take this away from me, is what Paul prays. And notice his response in verse 25. He responds, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, who will take it away? The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And Paul says, so for now, I struggle. But there's a day coming when the struggle will be over. Amen. And that's what brings us to chapter 8, verse 1. And by the way, the sermon hasn't started until right now. All right? That's what brings us to chapter 8, verse 1, when Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. You may still struggle with your sin, but the condemnation of death has been taken care of if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, I want you to understand something that I think is incredibly helpful that all of us need to understand. There is a major difference between condemnation and conviction. You see, oftentimes when a person comes to faith in Christ, they understand conviction because they're convicted of their sins and that's what leads them to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They realize, I'm a sinner, oh no, I need help and Jesus is there calling them unto salvation, enabling them to come to Him and he comes. they come to faith in Christ, they've experienced the conviction which leads to repentance and reconciliation. And what happens is that once we've repented of our sin, condemnation, which is the wages of sin, is death, the penalty, death, that, that, that you're not worthy, you're an enemy of God, that condemnation is removed. Right? But what Paul says in chapter 7 is true. We still struggle with sin. And then after we've trusted Christ, we experience what we call conviction. Now, conviction is not condemnation. Conviction leads to repentance and reconciliation. So if you're here this morning and you're a child of God and you experience God's conviction, that's evidence that God loves you and cares about you. Because Scripture tells us in Hebrews that God disciplines the child whom He loves. That's conviction. Amen? And that conviction is when God slaps your hand or puts you in timeout, or grounds you, or whatever the equivalent might be, that's when God punishes you so that you will realize your sin, and you will turn from your sin, you'll repent of it, and then be reconciled back into a right relationship with Him. But oftentimes, especially for a young believer, that conviction feels like condemnation. And that's why chapter 8, verse 1 is so incredibly important. If you are a believer who has trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned any longer. You have been set free. You are a child of God. And it is God himself that holds your salvation in his hand. It is secure. You do not have to worry. Amen? Listen, that's way better news than you're making it out to be. I'm telling you. Right? It's unbelievable to know that I have no longer any condemnation. I've been set free by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so Paul celebrates that in verse 1. He just comes out of chapter 7 saying, God, I'm a wretched, filthy man. What's wrong with me? And in chapter 8, through the Holy Spirit, he's reminded that there is no condemnation. Even though you still struggle with sin, even though you are yet to be perfect, God has taken condemnation away. Amen? And Paul says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because look at what he says in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Here's what he says. He says that you used to be under the law, not the Mosaic law specifically, but he's talking about the law in general, that realm of authority where sin and flesh dominated your life. 
You used to be under that law. You used to be controlled and under the authority of sinful flesh and wickedness. Over the, you used to be in control and under the authority of the sinfulness of this world. However, that's not you any longer. Because the Holy Spirit of God, Paul refers to him here in verse 2 as the spirit of life has set you free. He set you free from sin and death. So that you are no longer under the control or under the authority or under the dominion of the flesh. You're no longer under the control of this world. You have been set free through the Holy Spirit of God. And it is the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that lives inside of us, that allows us to be free from sin in our day-to-day life. Notice what he says in verse 3. Just so we're clear, he says, this is not something you've done on your own, but God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Focus in on verse 3, because in verse 3 we find a couple of helpful things that I want to make sure we understand fully. First of all, we see that God has has done this. This is what God has done. You want to know what you've done? Keep looking at what it says in verse 3. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Wasn't the law bad? Oh, no, no, no. Go back to chapter 6 and 7. Paul asked that question. Well, was the law then bad? And his answer, by no means, certainly not. Let it not be said, in other words. The law was perfect because it came from a perfect God. Amen? The law was given to reveal sin to us so that once we saw the law, we would realize, I don't stand a chance, God. I need help. And he says, the law was given perfectly, but the law had a fatal problem. But notice in verse 3, the problem wasn't with the law. The problem was with what? Us. (laughs) The law was weakened by us. It was my flesh that couldn't keep the law. It was my flesh that couldn't live up to God's standards. And so Paul says in verse 3, God did what the law could not do because the law depended upon you. But God did what was dependent upon him and not us. Amen? And so notice what it says in verse 3 as we continue. He says, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Here's what Paul says in verse 4. I mean, verse 3. Paul says, God accomplished what you couldn't accomplish under the law. How? He sent his very own son in the likeness of flesh. So that Jesus, his son, could live the life that we could not live, perfectly obedient to the law. And so that Jesus could then die as a sacrifice for our sins. We like to say it like this. He lived the life that we could not live and then died the death that we should have died. Amen? And in doing so, he became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And he condemned sin in his flesh by fulfilling all the requirements of the law, by becoming a sacrifice for our sins. And in doing so, he poured out his righteousness on us. Amen? That's why there's no condemnation for us any longer. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ poured out over us. 
He sees the Holy Spirit of life living inside of us. And so God has done what the law could not do. Jesus came, took on flesh, lived that perfect life that we couldn't live, died the death that we should have died. And he did that so that we could have our sins forgiven. Notice verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul says God did this so that you could be counted as righteous. So that the law could be fulfilled on your behalf. Those of you who notice what he says at the end of verse 4. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what Paul says here is that there's a caveat. This doesn't describe all of man. This describes those who walk according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit. In other words, this this describes those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. So through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have been set free from sin and death. But then secondly, we see through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we've been set free to please God. Now look at what we see in verse 5 through 8. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so what Paul does in verses 5 through 8 is he describes what it looks like to have a mind that is set on the flesh on one hand versus a mind that is set on the Spirit on the other hand. Now I want you to be careful here. Don't read verses 5 through 8 as if this is a choice that we make where this is a believer who is struggling with sin and following God and the same conversation of chapter 7, that was back in chapter 7. This is a different conversation. Paul isn't talking about the internal struggle that we do experience. Paul is describing a person who has their mind set on the flesh, in other words, someone who is yet to trust Christ as Savior, versus someone who has their mind set on the Spirit, in other words, somebody who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And so notice the description in verses 5 through 8. Paul says that those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. To set your mind is representative of all that you are. In other words, this isn't just your thoughts. This is your thoughts. This is your goals, your ambitions, your leanings. This is all that you are is set on the things of this world. Everything that you're about is self pleasing, self-gratifying, and sinfulness and wickedness. Now, that doesn't mean that those who have a mind towards the flesh are all bad and none good. There's a little bit of good in everybody, right? Even even the worst of us can do some decent things from time to time, right? right? But that doesn't mean we're good. We are still totally depraved. We are still completely unable to please God, which is very, very clear in the text. Notice what it says in verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. In other words, it leads to death and separation from God. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In other words... It's impossible for those who are still in the flesh to please God. It's impossible for them to obey the law of God. It's impossible for them to follow after God. 
So what about those who say, well, well, wait a minute. If I'm good enough, can I earn my way to heaven? You cannot please God. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. It, I'm better than a lot of people, right? I mean, listen, I've never, I've never committed any of the big sins. I've never murdered anybody. I've never done anything that's really, really bad. It is impossible to please God. Amen? In our flesh, we cannot fulfill God's law. We cannot please God. It is absolutely impossible. However, those who set their mind on the Spirit are those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And notice the description that Paul gives in verses 5 through 8 of them. We see those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In other words, our thoughts, our motives, our goals, our attitudes, our actions, all that we possess as believers are aimed towards pleasing God and following the Spirit. If you're a believer, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, then you ought to be living your life for the glory of God alone. Amen? And again, remember, this isn't an ought to This is Paul describing what is true of those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He continues on in verse 6. He says, a mind that is on the Spirit is life and peace. Why? Because if you've trusted Christ and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, then you have peace with God. You see, the wrath of God has been taken away. Because Jesus Christ has covered your sins with his blood. He's poured out his righteousness on you. So you're no longer a child of wrath and an enemy of God. You are now sons and daughters of God. Amen? And that's why, again, there's no condemnation for us. We're God's children. Amen? We're God's children. There's no condemnation because we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. And so what we find is that those who are filled with the Spirit have been set free. We can please God in our lives. Not because of the flesh or the choices we make, but because of the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us. Amen? Again, it's not about doing better. You'll never do good. <laughs> it's about submitting yourself to the Lordship of Christ. And when when you're submitted to Jesus in your life, you will find yourself doing better because God is doing it through you. So if we have the Holy Spirit of God, we can say no to sin. If we have the Holy Spirit of God, we can follow the Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, we can do what God wants us to do. If we have the Holy Spirit of God, we can fulfill God's plan for our life. If we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, we can please God. Amen? So for those of us who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, we have been set free to please God. We're no longer controlled by sin. We're no longer under the authority of this world. And so it really becomes clear. Those who are filled with the Spirit are pleasing God. And those who are still in the flesh are unable to please God. So let me just pause for a minute and let me ask you a quick question. 
Are you filled with the Spirit? I know I can't compete with that. It's not as cute when I do it, is it? But it's awesome when he does it. He's good. You know he's good. But seriously, let's just pause for a second and let's ask the question. Are we filled with the Spirit? Well, you say, how, how can I tell? Well, what does your life look like? Paul just described those filled with the Spirit versus those who are still have their minds set on the flesh. If you look at your life and you find that you are living in sin, selfishly trying to please self, you're under the authority of the world, you're still condemned to die because you can't overcome sin, then it's because you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Because if you have the Holy Spirit of God, you have been set free. Paul's describing a reality here. He's not given us a choice. As a matter of fact, notice what he says as we continue on in verses 9 through 11. You see, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we've been set free from sin and death. Through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we've been set free to please God. And then thirdly, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have been set free to eternal life. Look at what it says in verse 9. Paul speaks with confidence here. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now here's what he means in verse 9. Writing to the Romans, he says, I'm confident that you are no longer in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. You've, you've experienced God's salvation. How can Paul know? How can we know? Because of the description he just gave back in verses 5 through 8. If the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, it is evident to you and it's evident to everyone else. If the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, you've been set free from sin. Sin no longer has dominion over you and you are pleasing God in your life. However, if you're still living in sin, having a mind set on the sinfulness of this world, Then Paul asked that question in verse 9, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And here's what he goes on to say, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In other words, Paul says this, just because you've prayed a prayer, just because you've walked an aisle, just because you've gone through a dip in a baptismal pool, doesn't mean that you've truly given your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit of God does not live inside of you, then you do not belong to Christ. Again, the question is serious but clear. Does the Holy Spirit live inside of me? Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? If he does, we can have confidence in all that follows. If he does not, then we do not belong to Christ. It really is that simple. But look at what he says in verse 10. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
Look with me at verses 10 and 11. I think this is fascinating. Notice how close the relationship is between the Spirit and the Son. Because Paul seems to use them interchangeably when he talks about who dwells in you. So I'll ask you, who dwells in you? Nobody's willing to answer because when you read verses 10 and 11, you come up with Christ and the Spirit, right? Now, they don't both dwell in us in the way that the Spirit dwells in us. But when you ask Jesus into your heart, who takes up residence in your heart? It's the Holy Spirit of God. In the very same way that he also speaks of the closeness between the Father and the Spirit. Because he speaks of the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Who raised Jesus from the dead? It was the Father, right? Although Jesus takes a little credit sometimes himself. Why? Because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are so interconnected that they cannot fully be separated, right? They are one in the same. They are one God, again, in three persons. We don't have to fully comprehend all that. But I love verses 10 and 11 here because it brings all three together in such an intimate relationship that we really can't tell where they divide because they don't actually divide. Isn't that cool? We can't see the clear separation because they don't actually clearly separate their one person. They're, excuse me, they're one God in three persons. And so here's what Paul says then in, in, the, in verse 10. He says, if Christ dwells in you, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Here's what he says. He says, that's what's going on in chapter 7 in my life. He says, Jesus lives in me. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in me. And because of that, I have life and I am righteous because of the Spirit that lives in me, even though the body that I'm currently in is death because of sin. This body is going away. This body is decaying. This body's getting older. This body's dying. This body's been corrupt. He says the physical body, it is corrupt and dead because of sin. But what lives in me is the Holy Spirit of God. And because of that, I have life because the Spirit in me is righteousness. And he goes on into verse 11 to speak of the eternal life that is to come. He says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. What does he mean? He means that there is a day coming when these bodies that we have will be transformed and we will go from mortal to immortal, from corrupt to incorrupter. These bodies will be transformed. They will be renewed and life will be given back to these bodies. And we will be resurrected to spend eternal Life with God the Father. Because of the spirit of life that lives in us, he says in verse 11. So, what impact does the Holy Spirit of God have on us? Well, it's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us once we've professed faith in Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to be set free from sin and death on a daily basis. It's the Holy Spirit that will raise us one day to eternal life. And between here and there, it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to please God as we follow Him in our lives. And the Holy Spirit isn't distant. The Holy Spirit lives where? In us. If 
we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So again, it all comes down to the question, does the Spirit of God live in you? You say, how can I know for sure? Look at your life. Is your life characterized by the Holy Spirit that brings life? Or is your life characterized by sin that brings death? Will you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I really want you to think, I want you to focus on what God is saying to you, what God is speaking to you. There's been way too many people who have sat through a church service, who've sat in a church pew, who've heard the truth of God's word, who have thought to themselves, eh, I'm probably all right. Even though everything inside has been screaming out that you've yet to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so if you're here this morning and there is no evidence of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, if your life is characterized by sin and by selfishness, then I don't want you to leave here today hoping that you'll be okay. But I want you to submit yourself now to the prompting of God and the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you feel God speaking to you and calling you unto salvation, then I want you to forget about what others might think. And I want you to focus on all that really matters. And that's what is God calling you to do this morning. So if you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ and there's no evidence that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, then in just a few moments as we sing the hymn of invitation, that's your opportunity to come. Just say, Will, I want to give my life to Jesus. There's no evidence of God's Spirit living inside of me. I want to give my life to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you know that to be true and you feel and hear God calling you, then do not leave here today until you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Again, you you may be so shy that there's no way you could walk this aisle. That's fine for now. But don't leave. Come find me after service. Let's make sure. Let's get it right. Believers, if you're here this morning and you know the Holy Spirit of God lives and dwells inside of you, then I want you to praise God First of all, because there is therefore now no condemnation for you. You have been set free from sin. And you no longer ever, ever, ever have to worry about condemnation again. You are a child of God. And let me encourage you secondly that because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, you can please God. The Holy Spirit is there to lead God and direct us as we will see over this study. And so let me just encourage you this morning, just submit yourself fully and completely to the Spirit. Begin this study by praying, God, whatever I learn, however the Spirit's supposed to work, I submit to the Spirit in my life and I want you to lead me and guide me through the Spirit that lives inside of me. Lord, we thank you for all that you are doing in our hearts and our lives this morning. We thank you for the truth of this word We pray that we will continue to learn more and more as the weeks go on. And we pray that you would be glorified in how we respond to your word now. If there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that you would call out to them and enable them to put their faith and trust in you today. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.
Amen. Our worship team is coming to lead us in our final song of worship this morning. You come this morning as the Lord leads.